Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the weekend. We are on to Cincinnati as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 272. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the Eagles' week three matchup against Joe Burrow and those Cincinnati Bengals. We will talk all about the number one pick and what the Eagles can do to affect him, but... We'll also hit on some matchups, some key stats for the game, all of that at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. After that, Ben and I are going to get into a little bit of a chat through our scouting report segment where this week I wanted to focus on a guy that really flashed during our film study of the Bengals, and that's free safety Jesse Bates. We'll talk about how much of an impact he can have in this game and how the Eagles always have to keep an eye on where he will be. We'll cover that in scouting report, but that is not all because at the end of today's show, I also caught up with Eagles linebacker Duke Riley to talk about just his evolution as a linebacker from high school to college to the NFL. So before we get into all of that, just a couple things I want to make sure we hit on here at the top of the show. Quick reminder, best way to throw us your support as we're now in three, you know, week three of the NFL season, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. we got a couple more we're going to hit to from you guys at home here today. If you leave a question on there, I will be sure to respond to it right here on the show. Also, Mentioned Eagles game plan uh, throughout the course of this episode. We're talking about it. Last week we talked about it. Before we get into my chat with Ben, I wanted to give you a little bit of a tease to a segment uh, we had on this week's episode where I caught up with Eagles head head coach Doug Peterson to talk about how he's going to get his team ready for week three after his first 0-2 start as a head coach. Here's a small bite from a segment that we call Tape Study presented by Chickies and Pete's. It's obviously going into week three, first time 0-2. When you draw back on how to kind of talk to your team and get them ready for this third week, do you draw back on other experiences as a player, as working with Andy Reid and working with Don Shula and Mike Holmgren, or do you work back to look, you know, look, guys, we've been through this before. We've gone through a losing streak before. How do you kind of get the team ready for week three? Yeah, Fran, you know, I, I, I really lean back on a couple of experiences, and, and, and one obviously – most recently is, is our own experiences, right? Our own, our own setbacks that we've had, whether it be through injury or, you know, a two or three game skid during the middle of a season, something that I'd go back and just kind of think about those conversations I had with the team. And then I also go back to my time in Kansas City where we started the season one and five and then went on a uh, 11 game winning streak. Not to say that's going to happen here, but just knowing that experience and having gone through that with Coach Reed, uh, really applies to us now and, and where we are with this 0-2 start. It was fun catching up with Doug this week. We broke down some good plays from the game uh, as well, so you can catch that whole segment over on Eagles Game Plan, which will be on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app on Friday. If you're local here to Philadelphia, you can also catch that Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on NBC10 Philadelphia. All right. Talking about Eagles game plan, let's talk about the guy who is just so important to the production of that show every single week, and that is Ben Fennell. Let's dive into our chat now. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, so joining me once again this week on Chalk Talk is Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, look, this week... Obviously a tough episode um, to put together for Eagles game plan, right? It's always tough to put the episode together 
uh, obviously coming off a loss in which the, the Eagles did not you know, do well on either side of the football. Um, and then also with a team where, you know, outside of Joe Burrow, there weren't like a lot of storylines to be able to, to latch onto. So giving people a peek behind the curtain at what life is like for Ben and I after a loss, it can be a little bit difficult, but I thought we put together a, a solid show this week, especially when you talk about Joe Burrow. There's plenty to talk about there. Um, anytime we get to look at, at a young quarterback and, you know, we looked at the, the stuff that he was able to do out of empty and you did a great job of pulling some numbers and, you know, going through all just how effective they've been uh, out of these empty sets with him in the backfield by himself. We talked about it earlier this week with Greg Cosell. So, um, you know, just I, I'd love to get your elevator speech on, on what you love from their empty sets and why that's so effective for a young guy like Joe Burrow. And then also, just your thoughts on uh, the number one pick, you know, through two games and, and what you expect to see hmm. when you turn on the film of a rookie quarterback in his first handful of starts. Well, I'll take that backwards. I'll go through the Burrow thoughts initially. Um, rookie quarterback is the only rookie quarterback uh, to start week one. Now Justin Herbert joined him as the second quarterback to take snaps so far this year. Yep. So I'm just impressed Joe Burrow showed up with no rookie training camp, no preseason games, second game on the road, short week. I'm just happy he showed up to the huddle for him and is getting his team in and out of the <laughs> huddle and finished two games, not to mention nearly beating the Los Angeles Chargers in week one, really a uh, offensive pass interference, questionable call from A.J. Green away from upsetting a playoff caliber team in the Chargers. You expect to see some wide-eyed moments, some confusion, maybe a boneheaded mistake, maybe some poor game or clock management. Uh, maybe, you know, struggling down in the red zone when things start to get tight. But he's shown enough, you know, baseline traits. He's tough. He's accurate. He's struggling a little bit with the rhythm and the timing like rookies do. Struggling throwing the ball down the field. Um, in that same breath, he's not getting a whole lot of help from his receivers down the field. Offensive line isn't average. They're below average. And that might even be generous to say. So yeah. not an ideal scenario for a rookie to be playing behind. There's a reason why they're the number one pick in the draft. That's always the buyer beware. Like Peyton Manning tells people, there's a reason why they were bad. And you're going to go figure it out uh, that first year. And usually take some a couple years to get out from underneath. They've gotten behind in some games. So they abandoned that run game pretty quick. Fewest run percentage, particularly on first and 10, where you have a team like the Tennessee Titans running the ball over 70% of the time on first down. And the Bengals are running the ball about 27% last in the league on first down. But they love those empty sets. And that quick game, that is pretty much the extension of the run game. And that's where Joe Burrow is most comfortable. They've had four touchdowns on offense this year, all four from the empty formation. So something's working there. And uh, why is it so effective for the quarterback? My buddy here, Josh Cohen, works for CBS, said he had heard from somebody, empty formations are defensive truth serums. Yep. And I just love that line right there because it's all about acquiring information, coverage identification, but first and foremost, the pressure and the threat identification. When you're spreading out your weapons, you're spreading out the defense. Everybody seems to like these tight, reduced, condensed formations we see in the NFL. But when you have tight crowds of offensive players, that brings tight crowds of defensive players. And that brings more threats in a closer proximity to the quarterback. So there's pros and cons to everything. But the empty formation, why is Joe Burrow good at it? Football intelligence, 
quick decision maker, quick throwing motion, and accurate. And I think those are kind of the four pillars that make a quarterback successful in the empty. Um, But I like what I've seen from him. You have to remember, the Bengals have seven drives of over 10 plays. That's the most in football. They're moving the ball down the field, struggling in the red zone a little bit, struggling on some third downs from time to time, struggling for balance, struggling to run the ball, struggling to protect him. But Joe Burrow in a vacuum, I like what I've seen through two weeks. Yeah, I feel like uh, – what was it? We were just talking yesterday. I think like their longest play so far, their longest pass play has been, what, 23 yards or, or something of yeah, that something nature. Yeah, very pedestrian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they haven't had the big play. So in order for them to be able to move the football, they've been able to, having to stack play after play after play and, and create these long drives. To me, it was just really interesting. And, and I had tweeted this out on literally on draft night because draft night this year, you know, I'm sitting in my basement. We're doing Eagles Draft Central. And, you know, I'm trying to, like, put out thoughts after each pick in the first round. And with Burrow, you know, there was a lot of talk last year with Joe Brady. Why are they having so much success? And one of the things that was talked about with Burrow was he loved how uh, they they were able to kind of spread things out in terms of always getting five receivers out of the route. We weren't keeping the running back into block all the time. We weren't keeping one or two tight ends into block like they had in the past at at LSU. So, you know, getting all those guys out just relying on the five-man pass row. Hey, I'll take care of the rest mentally, but give me the options to be able to figure out where I'm going to attack the defense. The the Bengals, you know, with Zach Taylor coming from uh, the tree that he came from, They weren't a big empty team last year, and you went and you pulled some of those numbers. I don't know if you've got them in front of you, um, but they're empty numbers from last year to this year as I uh, am looking to pull them up. Um, You know, there was a big jump. And what we've seen from uh, 2019 with the first year with Zach Taylor to what we've seen just through two games, small sample size, but a large, large amount of empty sets with five-man pass protection. And for all those reasons, it allows Joe, Joe Burrow to kind of thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And just pulling up those empty sets there, going from year one to year two, and putting these rookies in positions to be successful and catering your offense to what they do well is what the game is about today. It's no longer about fitting guys into your system and making them run what you run. You have to make sure they're comfortable. And I think using those empty formations is really uh, critical. And last year, the Bengals used it about 9% of the time. Use 101 Uh, different instances of the empty formation, 9%. And then you go over to this year in 2020, and just the frequency they've used it through two games, they're at 24%, Fran. 39 snaps already. Yes, 39 snaps already. But to go from 9% in the offense to nearly 25%, 24.4%, that's a massive, drastic evolution of the offense. Yeah, and we've you know we've talked about it in the past with with Carson Wentz. You know, there's a lot of positives to going in empty. Uh, you can't do it all the time. You don't want to live in empty, but you, there are a lot of positives in it, especially for a young quarterback to try and give him that information early in the pre-snap phase. Uh, you know, it just gives him a good starting point as the ball is snapped. So certainly something uh, to keep an eye out for in this game. Now let's go to the other side of this, and we're, we talked about this. Ike Reese did a great job of doing a, a play breakdown on Eagles game plan. We found a play uh, of the Eagles defending empty, but without getting into the nuts and bolts of that specific play, just talking in generalities, to me, like stopping empty comes down to eliminating that quick throw. You talked about it. The ball wants to come out quick. And the, ball, the quarterback's not going to be holding on to the football uh, for a long period of time. So if you're a defense, 
you are trying to disrupt the timing. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, if you're going to do you know, a designated double team on the primary target, if you want to, uh, you know, play plus press man coverage, there, there are different ways to kind of do that, but you are trying to disrupt the timing, force the quarterback to hold the ball from a coverage standpoint and allow your pass rush to be able to get home. If not, you're blitzing, right? You're trying to, you're sending more than the offense can block, um, you know, whether that's by front alignment and kind of confusing and getting a guy free or just saying we're going to go uh, cover zero and we're going to send six. You can only block five. You know, I feel like the empty formation on offense makes the game of football rather vanilla. Mm-hmm. There's only so many ways to disguise coverage when you yep. spread out. There's only so many ways to attack the quarterback when, you know, you're spread out there. And it just eliminates all those other factors. It eliminates, you know, your ability to have extra bodies that double team defensive linemen, whether chip help or running back help. Um, so there's a lot of kind of naked scenarios is what I call them for, for matchups. And whether that's a straight man to man matchup on the outside or a straight one on one matchup up front, I mean, typically you're going to slide three guys and get man to man with the other two. It's all about kind of handling your business in phone boots. And that's man-to-man, clamping down, disrupting. You know the ball is going to come out. Can you hold down for two and a half, three seconds? And then winning those one-on-ones up front and getting home in three and a half seconds. There is no time for counter moves. There's no time for, for stunts, twits, blitzes from depth. It's really guys that have to do their job quickly within that three to four second window. Um, and it's really kind of ramped up with – getting your job done, whether on offense or defense, that much faster. No question. It's going to be certainly a lot of fun to be able to watch uh, just how that, how that's defended here on Sunday. Uh, on the defensive side, we talked about Cincinnati, their nickel package, a couple of young rookie linebackers uh, in Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither, how they use those guys and what the Eagles can do to kind of combat that. So make sure you go check that out uh, on Eagles game plan this week. All right, let's get into the matchup, uh, Ben. I want one one-on-one matchup you're, start, you're excited to see here in this game. I'll let you kick this one off. You know, I had trouble picking this one because of, uh, you know, the rotation of bodies we've seen from the Bengals, particularly at right guard. They went from Xavier Suafilo to Billy Price to Fred Johnson last week. I wouldn't say either of the three performances have been up to snuff by the Bengals' standards. And that makes us look right at Fletcher Cox, our most dominant player, probably on the entire roster at any position. It's his time to shine. And when you have that level of competition that he's going against that guard, he needs to wreck the game. And I'm looking at Fletch on a snap-to-snap basis saying he needs to be dominant. He needs to be productive. Uh, I know sometimes he could go quiet in the eyes of fans or in the stat sheet, but he is a dominant, dominant player on a week-to-week, down-to-down, drive-to-drive basis that I think this is one of those games where he needs to make himself known and uh, really show up and disrupt the game from the inside out of the Bengals offense. Like we saw last week with the, with the Rams, they're able to move the pocket, get Jared Goff on the move. That kind of neutralized the Eagles pass rush. And, you know, with Washington, the ball was out of Haskins' hands so quickly. And it's the same thing. You know, they're going to move the pocket, do those kinds of things. You know, the, the Eagles have to prevent the Bengals from being able, allowing them to get the ball out quickly. And it's what, what we just talked about in those empty sets. Burrow's not going to hold on to the football. So if you're going to try and force him to hold it, make him a little bit uncomfortable, make him guess what he's seeing a little bit, now you're giving that defensive line time to be able to get home and win those one-on-ones. I totally agree with you. I'm going to stay actually on that side of the ball. 
and I'm going to go to the secondary. And I look at this Cincinnati pass catching core, and they're, they've got a, a handful of weapons that you know, are pretty good. When you look at what a number one quarterback usually comes in, a number one pick a quarterback usually comes in, and it's you usually don't have A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd and uh, you know Joe Mixon and those kind of skilled players uh, at your disposal. To me, Tyler Boyd is one of the best slot receivers in the NFL right now. Um, to me, I don't know how you feel about it, I think he might be the guy that I'd most want to keep limited uh, in this game. I know A.J. Green has been by far their most heavily targeted receiver. I believe he's got 23 targets, and the next guy is Giovanni Bernard with 13. Um, so, you know, certainly they are trying to feed the ball to number 18. But uh, to me, I, I want to keep Tyler Boyd from winning in the middle of the field. The Eagles have had some issues in the middle of the field so far. Uh, you know, with guy, obviously the guys that we saw have success last week. Uh, keeping Tyler Boyd on lock. I think a lot of the time we'll see Nikel Roby Coleman, especially if it's in a man-to-man kind of situation in the middle of the field. But that's a matchup I'm going to keep an eye on here in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish they would use him more. It just seems like he goes quiet for two, three drives. And I think it's so telling. You watch on Thursday against the Browns, fourth down, got to have it play. And it's A.J. Green setting a pick for Tyler Boyd. He is the go-to guy. He is the got-to-have-it guy. It's just not as frequent. And they try to spread it around and mix in and geo and the tight end sets. And every now and then you want to get John Ross deep. Seems like Tyler Boyd is the forgotten one. I think you're going to see more and more involvement and more featuring in the offense from Tyler Boyd. This is a guy at Pitt that was running jet sweeps and end arounds and really creative gadget receiver if you have the right mind. Yeah, it seemed like um... – T. Higgins didn't have he didn't have a target week one. He saw an uptick in snaps and looks last week, and it feels like he's going to be that third receiver for them. Uh, Mike Thomas, another guy that's kind of worked in, but it seems like T. Higgins. But my guess is by we're you know if we're sitting here four weeks from now, it's going to be you know in some order A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd with T. Higgins there as kind of like that number three threat in the passing game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, uh, let's go to let's go to the next one here. What got left on the cutting room floor for this week's show? What's something that we wish we just – maybe we just didn't have time to be able to get to? To me, like, I'll go first here. This one was easy, and that's Joe Mixon. And you and I were both so impressed uh, with what Joe Mixon was able to put, uh, put on film just so far this year, but even going back to last year. Such a really physically gifted back. And um, what, are, what are some of the things that stood out to you about Mixon? Because for, for me, he's constantly creating his own yardage. And from – in a blink of an eye, he goes from like, oh, okay, this one's going to get stopped for zero, and now it's four yards. He just kind of has that late surge at his size, and that with his ability to just gain ground, uh, he just he eats up yardage. He's just the epitome right now of a really good running back playing behind a bad old line. Yeah. And just constantly creating for himself, getting out of bad plays, making the first guy miss, getting more than the play is blocked for, all those kind of trigger statements you like out of running backs – you just wish he could, you know, make that guy miss at four yards rather than two yards behind this line of scrimmage. He has some of the most impressive two-yard runs so far in right. 2020. Felt like I'm watching Cam Akers at Florida State, where it seemed like every play on a down-to-down, down, he just had trouble in the backfield. But he makes a lot of guys miss. It just so happens they're only going for three and four yards, but a really right. good player just behind a uh, kind of a subpar offensive line at the moment. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you're talking about their offense. You're talking about Burrow, Burrow, Burrow. Um, so we just we didn't get a chance to really hit on Joe Mixon here in this show. Was there something where you felt like, oh, man, I would have really liked if we could have squeezed this into the program at some point? 
Yeah, two things. One Eagles, one Bengals. I think okay. we're su- you're starting to get into the conversation of needing to profile Nate Herbig for, for the Eagles. I think mm. at right guard, he played pretty well last week, uh, sandwiched between, between uh, Lane Johnson returning and Jason Kelsey. I just think uh, he's starting to earn some, some respect and some attention. And then on the Bengals side of the ball, I think a player that's playing really well for them in the midst of some dysfunction on defense is free agent acquisition DJ Reader from the Texans big money acquisition, run plugger, pocket collapser. He's really showing up from time to time, making plays in the run game. You have to remember, no Geno Atkins yet in 2020. DJ Reader next to Geno Atkins is a dominant one-two punch for defensive tackles. And then that could just help the edge presence a little more. They've Dunlap, Carl Lawson, Sam Hubbard. They could use another body out there. But you get Geno Atkins next to Reader, and everything is going to start clicking. It's going to make the linebackers' job easier. It's going to make those edge rushes a little bit easier. And it's going to make DJ Reader's life a little bit easier, who, in my opinion, has been playing pretty well through two weeks. So if he makes a couple splash plays in the backfield, that's not a fluke. They gave him big money in the offseason, and he was well worth it. Uh, a guy that is known for his ability to defend the run, but showed some improved pass rush ability. Uh, and you snuck in a, an extra little one-on-one matchup there because Herbig and Reader, they'll see plenty of each other oh, uh, here here in this game. And by the way, you're all right. We didn't get enough Nate Herbig into the show, but I did ask Doug Peterson what he thought of the second-year guard and what how far he came from week one to week two. We left it on the cutting room floor, but... Since you brought him up, we'll, we'll toss it here. Here's Doug Peterson talking about Nate Herbig. Coach, what did you see from Nate Herbig and his second start uh, as an Eagle? I thought Nate did an outstanding job. Um, you know, it, it's no small order when you're blocking Aaron Donald for much of the day, and, and he did a really nice job against him, whether he was in one-on-one pass blocking or, or got these combination-type blocks like you saw with Lane. But, uh, you know, Nate's a cerebral type of a guy. He's a problem solver, and and he knows how to use that to his advantage throughout the course of a game and and really took from week one into week two, really improved his game, and and we were very pleased with that. All right, so nice little uh, toss there, Ben. Uh, Really glad you brought up Nate Herbig because it gave me an opportunity to be able to use that. All right, so uh, let's now get to our our favorite stat of the week. I want to ask you, uh, you do a great job of pulling some of those next-level numbers uh, for our game plan crew. Give me a stat or two that, uh, you know, that you want to bring to the show here. A couple, a couple highs and lows here. We already covered the Bengals empty formations, a heavy use 39 already, nearly 25% of the offense way out in front of the rest of the league. Another subtle aspect of their offense is the rare OO personnel. That's five receivers. Typically you hear 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends or 13 or 22 or 11 or 10. This is OO. So that means no running backs, no tight ends, five wide receivers. They've used nine snaps so far. That's the most in the NFL, a pretty rare package. Mm. And then the other side of the equation with the Bengals, poor, poor run defense so far. I know DJ Reader's made some splash plays, but 30th in yards per game, 29th in allowing explosive runs of 10 or more, and worse in the NFL in yards after contact. So they're in the right spots, but not bringing the ball carriers down. They have to be able to tackle better. Uh, especially against these Eagle backs. We saw guys for the Cleveland Browns last week, uh, you know, break tackles in the hole, whether that was Kareem Hunt or um, uh, Nick, Ch- Nick, Nick, Nick Chubb. Oh, Nick Chubb, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, so they're getting themselves in position. You got to get the ball carrier down. So yep. 
uh, really need to clean up the run defense heading into this week. No question. All right. And the these OO personnel is going to be interesting because we saw seven snaps of it in week one, a couple snaps last week. Um, you know, will they try and, and threaten this Eagles secondary, spread them out with five receivers? Obviously, that goes back to those empty looks. But uh, you get all those talented guys on the field at once. And, that, and it's how do you dare those. match up? Yeah. You know, you, I mean, obviously, nickel or dime is a pretty safe bet. But do you go dollar? Do you pull all your linebackers off the field? You know, if you go five defensive backs, one linebacker, there's a chance that linebacker is going to be put in a precarious situation against a speedy receiver. And that the touch was the touchdown run out of empty for Joe Burrow. It was like a 20 some yard run. Uh, was that out of the zero, the OO personnel? I believe it was. Yeah, yes. I believe so. All right. So that, and that's the thing is, you, you know, you, you leave a, you leave that box vacated. Well, now Joe Burrow is going to take off up the middle and he went for 20 plus yards for a touchdown in week one against the Chargers. He's got a little juice in those legs too. You watch that play from the sideline. He he'll, he'll take it from zero to 60 on you. He's not, he's not like, you know, we always use the term like, oh, he's deceptively athletic. No, like he's, he's pretty athletic. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty I mean, athletic. he's not in, obviously he's not in the Lamar Jackson conversation. Of course. But he's yes. right up there with, you know, Carson Wentz and Mitch Trubisky and, you know, uh, Jimmy G and these guys yeah. that will take off on you in a, in a heartbeat. All right, let's go to one last thing. Um, just around the NFL, has there been anything? Uh, I know you've studied a few games from uh, around the league so far. Anything that you kind of uh, – a fun takeaway uh, to talk about here on the show from studying other teams around the league? Yeah, I'm just going to go topic to topic here really fast. Right. Rookie Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis involved in the pass game, something that you didn't see a whole lot at Wisconsin. Dude, and, and this how often do we talk about this with running backs, man? Like, it's not, oh, the guy, he, he didn't catch any passes, so he, he's a bad receiver. Like, how often do we talk about this? It's about how you were used and what you were asked to do. It doesn't mean you can't do it in the NFL. No question. Not being asked to win one-on-one, -on -one, great in the screen game, getting yep. in space, which is great. Loving the rookie O-line play around the NFL, mm -hmm. whether it's Kevin Dotson, Makai Becton, Michael Owenu, Jono Jackson, Jeriskel played some good snaps for us, Tristan Wirf, Jedrick Wills, these guys stepping in with no preseason, limited camp, really, really impressed. Typically, mm -hmm. that's a position that's a learn-on-the-job type of role. Right. Uh, but seeing some, some young secondary members struggle out, out there which is another big learn-on-the-job type of position. They're going to take their lumps against these high-flying offenses. Pittsburgh Steelers, run defense, awesome. A resurgence of Tyson Alawalu, former first-round pick, almost mm -hmm. in his 10th year, I think. Bud Dupree playing really well. Um, from the traditional single-high defenses, you know, the Dan Quinns, the Pete Carrolls, the Chris Richards, a lot more two deep looks, a lot more quarters looks, doing some tendency breakers, which is why. Why do you think? Why do you think that's the case? It's very tough. This is a, a very tough question to answer because we haven't dove into it. But it was something that I noticed watching uh, some games last week, watching like Atlanta and Seattle and some of the other teams. Like you saw more quarters from those teams that we typically would not see. I, I just I'm think really you need wondering. more tendency breakers. I just mm -hmm. think you need to be more of a rolodex defense when you're. Uh, we're coming out in this every time. You just know how to attack them. And I just think it gets to be, obviously, you play multiple defenses, you don't have an identity, and there's pros and cons to each of these. But especially early in the season, having these tendency breakers, having these different early down looks just makes it that much more difficult to attack on a week-to-week -week basis. Uh, some other things just here and there I made notes of, that edge-rushing Superman pass rush move Demarcus Lawrence has patented. We've seen it everywhere. everywhere. Seeing it all over the place from interior players, too. Tell, tell uh, us what which, that looks like. We say, we say Superman pass rush move. What does that look like? I call it the Superman kind of like the, uh, like the Superman punch you see in the UFC where you're leaping into the fender to punch them. Yep. This is essentially leaving both of your feet 
lunging into the offensive lineman while working a cross chop. And almost always the threat of you uh, jumping into them gets them to stop their feet. Now the issue is you're then knocking their hands down and you need to clear your body around their body that has not moved. So it can be a little clunky at times. It's really tough to time up. It's really tough to get skinny to get around that offensive lineman that stopped his feet, but it can be a very, very effective move if you time it out right. So we've seen it work. We have seen it not work. And the last note, our favorite play, the all-go halfback seam. We saw it up in Green Bay this past week against the Detroit Lions with a really cool little wrinkle in there. Not the jet motion, but a little orbit return as the flat control. So mm. just one extra layer to one of our favorite plays. Yeah, I like that. And there are a ton to be able to uh, kind of take away from what we've seen so far. I'm going to just weeks. do like a 30, 45 second, like rapid fire each week here. I love like it. Around the league. Yeah, just empty, empty the notebook. I love it. Exactly. Yep. I love it. All right, well, Ben, stay right where you are. We're going to keep this going. We're going to talk now about uh, Cincinnati Bengals free safety Jesse Bates here in time for Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. All right, Ben, so like I said, we're going to talk about uh, Bengals free safety Jesse Bates. And this is a guy that was really intriguing coming out of Wake Forest a couple of years ago because uh, declared for the draft as a redshirt sophomore, but he was a two-year starter. Started as a freshman, started as a sophomore. Um, you know, big kid, 6'1", uh, pretty long arms, only 200 pounds, so still a little bit lean, had to get a little bit bigger and stronger. But uh, I just want to kind of go through a couple of things that I saw from him on film. Interested to kind of get your thoughts as well. And then we can kind of talk about how he's made the transition and, and why, you know, the, what makes him so good in that role in the post. Because he is primarily in the post. Von Bell, closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, mentioned two-year starter, solid athlete, more explosive. Like, he's got that speed to cover sideline to sideline. I thought he was more fluid than I expected for a guy of that size. And he, again, 6'1", 200 pounds. Um, I thought he read the eyes of the quarterback really well. and It allowed him uh, to make breaks on throws. He had the range to make plays outside the numbers. And he would run the he wasn't just a uh, you know a, kind of a soft uh, play me off the ball. I don't want to you know, play it against the run. He was a willing tackler, had the length to be able to you know wrap guys up and get them down to the ground as a tackler. He was used as a blitzer from depth as well, and he had a good motor chasing plays from the backside. Um, you know, didn't really play any kind of press coverage. He wasn't guy, a guy that played all the time in the slot. Very few reps of him playing over the tight end. There were some, but not a ton. Um, you know, and too often I just wanted to see him get a little bit more consistent as a tackler. You know, the willingness was there, but but, uh, you know, in terms of like the technique, it, it wasn't always great. But overall, uh, you know, my final statement on him was instinctive coverage player with great length and above average, uh, above average range. I think he can develop into a solid starter in the NFL. I want to see him add weight and get stronger to better hold up against the run. But as a center fielder, I think he's got the eyes and the movement to be a really nice player on the back end. He could also develop into a tight end matchup player and should be a great special teams player as well. And Ben, um, you know, Jesse Bates, the reason why I picked him, man, I mean, he, he showed up well, the first two games when we watch you see this kid making plays from sideline to sideline from the post flying outside the numbers to make plays in the passing game yeah absolutely it was really interesting the fact that he's been that free safety you know the single high post safety in most of his career with the Bengals but didn't play that a whole lot at Wake Forest was much more of that quarter safety uh, where he had run responsibilities where you're able to see him trigger downhill he was tough he was aggressive not afraid to take on blocks didn't always bring down every ball carrier. You know, he was a aggressive tackler, but he'd fall off some tackles, being a little bit, you know, lean limb, thin framed, uh, about 190 pounds in his career at Wake Forest there. Huge freshman year with those five interceptions. 
so I think that got him on the scene immediately and he felt comfortable coming out just being a two-year starter, had the knee injury that sophomore year, so that kind of hurt his production as well. A couple dropped interceptions, so I thought he could have been in more of the 10 interception range in his career at Wake Forest. But when you look at his career with the Cincinnati Bengals and what they got out of Jesse Bates, he played over 1,000 snaps his first and second year, had four interceptions to his name. His snap total, that's more than the other guys that went ahead of him. Obviously, more than Derwin, who's, you know, taken on the injuries, but more than Minka Fitzpatrick, more than Justin Reed, more than Terrell Edmonds. Your best ability is availability. And this guy has been a core, reliable member of the Bengals defense for, you know, two and a half, going on three years now. Uh, so I think the fact he's been reliable, he's been athletic. We've seen some really impressive, rangy plays on the back end, making plays from between the hashes out to the sideline. So I love his ability to move on the back end. I love the ball skills. I love the instincts. And I just love his reliability. And I think that always gets a little overlooked, I think, uh, when reflecting back on the draft players. You want to go right to the stats. But sometimes you got to go right to the snaps, too. And was he a reliable player available for you? And did they use him? And this is a guy that's played a whole lot of football. No question. Uh, to me, like, it's going to be really interesting in this matchup because when you look at their big play numbers allowed, it's not going it, to – I think they finished uh, – where are they at right now? They're 12th in the NFL uh, in terms of big plays allowed, 20-plus um, yard completions. Yeah, they, they, these are from your stats. Uh, they gave up six catches of 20-plus so far, which is, you know, middle of the pack. But playing that Chargers offense in week one, I think that obviously they're, they're not a, a deep ball kind of operation right now, especially when Tyler, Tyrod Taylor was in the game. So I think when you're looking at what they did last week, the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, they were able to attack down the field. I wonder in this game, will the Eagles be able to complete some of those deep shots? Will we see some of the things we saw in week one with you know Jalen Rager over the top, Deshaun Jackson shot attempts downfield? Uh, are they going to try and make some of those big chunk plays you got to watch out for Jesse Bates in the post, man. I mean, he, he is a guy that's got that outstanding range. He's got that ability to finish on the football uh, down the field. He's a guy just to keep an eye out for, you know, playing in the center field position. Uh, you know, he's got that ability to, to take the ball away down the field. And that's something, obviously, the Eagles have not taken care of, good care of the football. Uh, you know, they've got to make sure that they know where this kid is at all times. If I had to just give a two-play snapshot of Jesse Bates through 2020, Really impressive pass breakup week one against the Chargers coming from the middle of the field to the sideline, coming from that deep area of the field, I think out to the, the deep right portion of the field. Yep. Really nice. And then last week against the Browns, I'm not sure who it was, but one of those explosive plays for the Browns on the ground, Jesse Bates missed the tackle of being that last line of defense. So those safeties, ability to tackle, make it a 10, 12-yard run or maybe a 60-yard touchdown. So Jesse Bates is really going to be tested with his tackling on the back end and do not test him in the pass game because he'll make plays uh, all over the field. You and I have these discussions over on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA every week, and you can go check that out. It's the segment we call Under the Hood where we talk about, you know, uh, specific positions and what, and what you know wins in the NFL, what makes good players good, what makes them great. Um, you know, talking about those post safeties, yeah, like it's easy. Oh, yeah, he's a free safety. He doesn't need to play the run. No, like you need to be able to come from depth break down, finish one-on-one, -on -one. you are the last line of defense. So, you know, whether you're running the alley, you know, out by the, by the numbers, or, you know, even if you are coming down and kind of being a, an over-the-top defender you know, on an inside run, you've got to be able to finish one-on-one. -on -one. And if you can't, then it's, it's tough for you to be on the field and be a really effective player. Well, if we're going to spin this back and reflect on some of these uh, 
prospect notes and now who they are. Where did you have him in the pecking order in 2018? We had Derwin James and Ronnie Harrison and Justin okay. Reed was a really nice player out of Stanford. And, you know, even a couple other hybrid guys like our own Avante Maddox yep. coming out of Pittsburgh was a, a guy who played corner. They kind of envisioned him to be a nickel safety. Some interesting guys, Troy Apke flying up boards with the way he tested. So uh, kind of interesting pecking order. I don't know if you remember I've where got, you had Jesse Bates. I've, I've, got, I've got the notes right here, Ben. So uh, Der, <laughs> Derwin James I had as, a, as like a quality starter. He was a guy, you know, obviously a tier above everybody else. He I was run. like, a, in my opinion, he was like a generational talent. Blue Derwin chip James player. Derwin James was a freak. At no question. State. So and then you have Ronnie Harrison, who I had, um, you know, in that next bucket. And then I had all to kind of together. I had Justin Reed, Armani Watts, Jesse Bates, who all were free safety types, right? All kind of post players. And Justin Reed has turned out a nice player down for the Houston Texans. Armani Watts, I don't believe has worked out right. He, he is not, he was in Kansas City initially, if I remember correctly. I don't know if he's still there. Um, I had Jesse Bates and then Deshaun Elliott uh, from, te from Texas, who uh, has turned out a nice player for the Ravens. And then Kaiser White uh, for the Chargers, all in that same bucket. That's actually, it's actually not a bad group. It's a lot, it's a lot of starters right there. Um, I just find like this group of like 20 safeties is a very polarizing year. Yeah. I just found that the rankings to be all over the place. You can even like have a 20 minute discussion on Oklahoma state Trey flowers. Right. And what he's turned into for the Seattle Seahawks. And I just like, I was just refreshing for the podcast. I looked at the safety group and I'm just like, Whoa, you could be all over the place with these rankings and where they've since gone with their NFL careers. Dude, look at I mean, you got Trey Flowers. I'm just going, I'm buzzing through it real quick. You have Trey Terrell Flowers. Edmonds getting drafted in the first round. 100%. And that's like, whoa, Pittsburgh, yeah. first round. Terrell, you have Terrell, uh, Terrell Edmonds. Jordan Whitehead is playing down for the down there for the Bucks. Uh, Trey Walker uh, with the Lions. He's he's turned been been a starter. Troy Apke is, is a starter now in Washington. Uh, Dane Krukshank is a nice role player for Tennessee. Kaiser White is turning into a good player for the Chargers. Jesse Bates, Deshaun Elliott. We just talked about Justin Reed. Ronnie Harrison didn't work out in Jacksonville. Um, now they're trying to figure it out there in Cleveland. And Derwin James has been one of the best safeties in football when healthy. He just hasn't been able to stay on the field. But that's a, that's a pretty good safety class, 2018. Yeah, absolutely. Really fun group. Oh, no question. Well, Ben, this was fun, man. Uh, we'll see you next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Again, make sure you go listen to Ben and I every single week, twice a week on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, wherever podcasts can be found. Thanks again, Ben. Before we keep this episode going, I just want to you know, quickly just take a second and remind everybody that we are now under two months away from Election Day on November 3rd. And did you know that four years ago, 100 million people, 100 million eligible voters, did not participate in the general election. 100 million. That's crazy. No matter who you support, that number is way, way too high. So I've got some questions for you. Are you registered to vote? Do you know where you can vote in your district? Do you know when your polling place opens? Have you checked to see if you can vote early? Because that has not ended yet. You have the ability to vote early. So if you have answered yes to all of those questions, then you're set. But if you answered no, You've got a little bit of work to do. Voting matters. It's not just for the presidential election. It's for all of your local and state elections as well. So please, it is all of our civic duty to make sure that our voices are heard. Go out, vote on November 3rd. Text EAGLES, E-A-G-L-E-S, to 26797 to register to vote.
Well, great stuff there from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, even leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out to a couple of people who have done that over the course of the last few days. We're going to start with dog one two three left a five star review saying how much they're loving the extra episode uh nice to you know have that extra episode for the week so dog one two three really appreciate that another one from ntl09 left a five star review saying one of the best eagles podcasts out there huge fan uh of the show really really appreciate that ntl and then we got another one here uh this is from bleef green 76 said uh jim schwartz needs to go watch some jim johnson tape sometimes rushing four does not work you have to rattle the cage uh you know i think when you're talking about looking at at the defensive scheme look it all comes down to philosophy. There are pluses and minuses to everything you do on both sides of the football, offense, defense, coverage, pass rush, run game, pass game. Because guess what? Teams throughout the course of the league, throughout the course of history, have won in all sorts of ways. The Eagles won a Super Bowl playing exactly this way, playing exactly in this scheme. You can rush for play coverage. You can blitz and blitz and blitz and risk coverage. You can have success in both. It all comes down to individual game plans, player execution, uh, little subtle tweaks here and there and scheme on a week-to-week basis. It really, it's it's all, you can win in all these sorts of ways. So I understand um, the frustrations. I I understand, uh, you know, obviously, look, no one expected the Eagles to be 0-2, um, looking to turn things around. And they're going to get th- they're gonna get a chance to do that this Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals. So really appreciate all you guys from Dog123, NTL09, Bleef Green 76 Really appreciate all of you guys and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Um, real quick, before we wrap this show up, guess what? I got a player interview. I told you we caught up with Eagles linebacker Duke Riley. Let's get to that interview right now. Well, welcome to our one-on-one. Excited to welcome in Eagles linebacker Duke Riley. Duke, thanks for joining me, man. Appreciate the opportunity, man. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first question, and I start this off every week the same way. When did you first make the move to linebacker? At what point did you say, like, all right, like, I'm a linebacker full-time now? So when I was young, I was always a, a quarterback and a running back, you know, and on defense I would pretty much play safety, linebacker, you know, pretty much wherever. You know, when, you, when you're when young, you want to put the guy who will make the plays somewhere where they can make the plays, and that's kind of like, the, I guess, the guy I was when I was younger. I was always, you know, always had a motor, always around the ball pretty much. And uh, I guess when I got to high school, um, <clears throat> my high school uh, really didn't do like it was only like a few players like throughout my whole high school, right. um, you know, tradition to play both both sides. You know what I'm saying? And, like so they didn't really do that a lot. And it was either quarterback. And at my high school, we handed the ball off a lot. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm a um, I don't even want to get hit anyway, so I just want to do the hitting. So I'm going uh, to go move the linebacker. I think that's the best uh, position for me. You know, and I, it's kind of like the quarterback of the defense. You know, you get to make the calls, make the checks. You got to work off the guys in front of you, um, do, make the right fits for the guys behind you. So it's kind of like you got to do your it's, – it's, it's, it's not the toughest job on the defense, but it's, you know, it's uh, – the leaders at that position, you know what I'm saying? Sure, and I was actually going to ask you if you embraced that move, but it sounds like you were kind of at the forefront, like, yeah, all right, move me to move me to defense full time. Right. I'm good making that move. Did you uh, play other sports growing up? Was football your first love, or how did that work? Oh uh, no, kid? I was I was constantly into other sports. Um, when I was younger, um, 
football was the, the main baseball football baseball and um as i got to like middle school you know track became a thing yep. um wrestling um that actually helped with my football i think when i was like 13 12 um i was really big in wrestling you know my dad was a wrestler my brother was one of the best wrestlers in the country at the time um so that was kind of something that my dad knew that would help my football, help my mm. mental toughness, help, you know, because wrestling, is, I, I think, is one of the hardest sports because it's really a one-on-one battle, and just the, the, the prep for the the match is probably some of the hardest prep going into it, you know. It's like, that's, that's, it's tough, you know. Yeah, a lot of people talk about that, like with guys coming out of the NFL draft, they're looking for offensive right. and defensive linemen, all that. They, oh, this guy was a wrestler in high school. Right. You don't necessarily talk about that with a, with a linebacker. Is there anything oh, yeah. from like a – a physical standpoint, like your balance, your just the ability to play through contact. Is there anything else that you kind of draw on from your wrestling experience? Uh, just, um, I guess, the grit, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the like winning the one-on-one battles, you know, and I just, um, you know, using using my body, you know, you learn how to really use my weight, you know, because sometimes, like, I was always an undersized linebacker, and I was, you know, I've been hip-tossed before because I've tried to attack a guy before, and I them using their leverage on me. So I'm like, okay, it's really all about leverage. And, you know, if you're small, you got to, you know, learn how to use different ways, and, you know, using my hands better. Like, I think wrestling, like, it was a was a big, um, was a big, was big for me during my transition to be a better football player. What'd you play in baseball? Uh, center field and pitcher. Yeah, what was your, fa- what was your favorite sport, uh, position? Um, see, when I I was a baseball player, but my uh, dad never really wanted me throwing like curveballs, you know, because he knew that curveballs. A lot of people when they they start them young throwing curveballs, it kind of messed their elbows up. Yep. So I was just I would just throw heat every game, every time. It didn't. I was just throwing heat, you know. But I really like I really like center field more because I love to like, you know, run run balls down. You know, I love the. I w- I was really really good at. It. I was honestly when I was younger, growing up, I was like a better baseball than football player mm. you know what I mean I thought that baseball was going to be my thing like even my freshman year of high school I, um I was telling my dad like man like you know because I had like a, a big growth spurt from my freshman to my sophomore year sure. um I was always undersized and um I remember telling my dad one day I was like man I think I just want to really focus on baseball he was like are you serious he's like no we're not doing that he was like you know you gonna it's gonna come pretty much you know you just got to keep working at you know everything you do, so um, <clears throat> I wasn't always fast, but that's so that's why I ran. He, my dad put me in track. My dad put me in like stuff like that because he knew that if I did this, I would be faster, or if I, you know, did wrestling, I'd be tougher, you know, for football. And right. um, so he kind of like put me. He made me do all that, and like I, it was really good for me to keep me active. Um, but yeah, uh, baseball, center field, um, and track became like my thing. Like. Going into my sophomore year, I stopped playing baseball because it was just like, all right, I never really played basketball. When I did play basketball, I played it like football. I would get in there just to foul. (laughs) (laughs) I was just defense. I knew my role, though. I was just getting rebounds, and I was passing it out. I was, you know. You're the dirty work guy. Yeah, that's that's me. I'm I'm the one who will get up in there and just go hard and get you the ball, you know. I knew my role, though. I I never was going to shoot it. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to take uh, Duke Riley from 2020, and I'm going to transport him back to high school. All right, mm-hmm. so we're going to go back 2010, 2011. You get to re- do, relive one experience. You get to shag some fly balls in baseball practice. You get mm-hmm. to go for your uh, – you, you, I know you guys, you were a very accomplished track athlete uh, mm-hmm. with, the, with relays, or you go to football practice. You get to pick one of the three. What are you going back to, uh, to relive? Huh, you're talking about, like, just besides football? like Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to go – 
I'm gonna go back and uh, I'm gonna stick to uh, since I didn't do since I stopped doing uh, baseball. I'm gonna go back and try to stick baseball out. You know, I think because I I really had a I really had a good thing going for myself, but it just got to the point to where I knew like okay, football is gonna be my thing because I knew what type of player I was becoming and I and I had set I had made it up in my mind what I wanted to do and be. You know, um, but I I always tell myself, man, I wonder if I was to, oh I would have. Uh, you know, play baseball a little bit. I, I still think I can do it now. <laughs> you <laughs> well, know, well, the, your dad, your the, dad got you on the right path, yeah, man. You yeah. made you made the right decision, Duke. Oh yeah, dude. Th- thanks so much for joining us here uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Best of luck this week. We'll talk to you again soon. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Well, thanks so much to Duke Riley and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings here at Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.